Like you have days where you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to do fine and I'm going to make it through this. And then you have other days where you're like, I am, I was planning my funeral at one point. So like, you know, you have those days. Um, And then you have days where you actually feel okay. But up until the point of starting treatment, I felt fine. I was in the best shape of my life. I felt totally normal. There was nothing other than the like physical manifestation of this tumor to tip me off at all that anything was wrong. Mm-hmm. So when I was diagnosed and I did get the biopsies back, it was kind of like, my doctor was like, what? They're like, you feel okay? I'm like, yeah, I feel great. What's wrong? <laughs> like, what? Cancer? Where? Listen to the vibes. Welcome everyone to another episode of Listen to the Vibes. And I'm very happy to welcome Edward Miskey here today. Uh, cancer survivor and author and well you've got a lot of things to your name so i'm gonna let you kind of tell a little bit more about yourself so the floor is yours sir thank you yeah i am i do a lot of things uh it comes from kind of i mean not kind of it very much comes from growing up in a creative family my dad's a musician singer songwriter my mom was a piano player both of their parents were entrepreneurial. So I got the the brunt of all of that. So (laughs) it's kind of like create and make it monetizable, you know? And of course, like the, the social settings we grow up in, uh, in the millennial kind of generation, you know, we had to transition from analog to digital as we were learning. So, you know, everything that you do becomes monetizable. So yes, I'm, I'm also a singer songwriter. I'm an author and writer, um, I'm a singer. I'm an actor. I do voiceover. Um, I'm currently adapting my book into a TV show. So I'm also a producer. I've done that in the past with other projects. I I do everything. <laughs> hey, I when I was little, I listened to eight tracks. So you can imagine how things have changed. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, like my dad had a recording studio in our house and uh, we we would have like the real the reels like the. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even know what they'd be called. I guess a real to real is what they'd be. That's called. what I call it. I mean, we had one of those too. Yeah, I mean, that's what I learned how to record on first when I was a child. Well, now I uh, I was reading that you are a cancer survivor. Um, well, first of all, if you don't mind me asking, what type of cancer and how did you find out? Sure. I had what is called rare enlarged B-cell Burkitt's like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is like this really, really super rare <laughs> lymphoma that's like nowhere else in the world. Uh, there are very few cases. I think it's under under 15, uh, under 12 to 1500 cases worldwide wow. reported ever. And um, I had none of the benchmarks of, of why I should have gotten it. And so it was kind of this very strange why is this here? What do we do with it? And it, that was a roller coaster. Um, and the way I found out that I had it is because I had this tiny little lump under my arm uh, that I found in the shower. And then like over the course of the next couple months, it blew up and turned into like this giant grapefruit of a tumor. And that is kind of what launched the whole cancer experience for the next year. Wow. You know, my first initial essential reaction to it would have been, oh, I got a, a cyst or something, and I'd be trying to poke it, but um, God, I did plenty of that. I mean, we we thought it might have been a cyst. We thought it might have been a clogged something, uh, you know, a, certainly like a swollen lymph node was, was under 
question and my my doctor at the time thought it was cat scratch fever i had a which is not real i mean it's the dumbest diagnosis i've ever heard in my life but um you know it was just this little lump and they put me on antibiotics and that was kind of the end of it until it was no longer like a tiny little thing and then it became a much much more serious conversation wow so your first initial reaction to it was it um like oh my god i'm i'm a goner or i'm gonna fight this i mean how did you feel um you know i there's a whole there it's not just one thing right like you have days where you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna do fine and i'm gonna make it through this and then you have other days where you're like i am i was planning my funeral at one point so like you know you have those days um and then you have days where you actually feel okay but up until the point of starting treatment i felt fine I was in the best shape of my life. I felt totally normal. There was nothing other than the like physical manifestation of this tumor to tip me off at all that anything was wrong. Mm-hmm. So when I was diagnosed and I did get the biopsies back, it was kind of like my doctor was like, what? They're like, you feel okay? I'm like, yeah, I feel great. What's wrong? <laughs> like, what? Cancer? Where? <laughs> wow. Well, some people will just kind of crawl into a little ball and give up and then there's others that say you know what i'm going to take this on but i want to make sure that i get a message out there to others that there's hope and don't give up but i i want to tell you i met a lady that came on my show that she literally had months left to live i think she was a few months into it when she did my show and anyone that could have just or should have been bitter and gave up, she didn't. She wanted to try to inspire others and, and try to give them some hope. And, and I think by writing a book, you're doing that. So, I mean, is that the focus of your book or what? what is it? Um, so a couple things I kind of want to like pick apart here so so when someone is terminal or they get a, a diagnosis that's like you we don't know how long you have but it's not long you know live long and prosper mm-hmm. um i've had a couple i had a podcast a couple years ago originally i wanted this to be an audiobook and then an interview series so i had a podcast of the same name of the book um and i interviewed this woman who had terminal stage four metatastic breast cancer whatever however you say that and she has since passed but we had a really great and very long conversation about legacy and Mm -hmm. you know what can you leave behind and i don't think a whole lot of us are very conscious of this until we're told we're going you know and then and then it becomes like wait hang on like I wasn't done with my life yet. Like, what do I leave in this, in this realm that we live in that, that says I, I existed, I mattered. And, you know, there's a real, you know, with the, with the title of the book being cancer musical theater and other chronic illnesses, I do, I feel obligated to mention that there is a show called the glorious ones by Aaron's and Flaherty, which are just a brilliant composing team. But one of the songs in the show that I heard during this period of time that completely knocked me over um, is called I Was Here. And it it basically talks about why do people do things? And the answer is to say, I was here. 
And anytime I hear anyone talking about this conversation about of legacy or a terminal illness and of any kind, like you just know that that has to be grating on them. Like that, that is such a human instinctual thing to want to be able to like put something like very physical down and be like, I was here. It's why people carve it. They literally say in the song, like, why do people carve their names in trees? Or, you know, like sculptors create things out of stone because stone is everlasting. Like, why do they do that? And and really, it comes down to the fact that they want to have something tangible to say, I lived here. I existed. Um, you know, and I, I just think that's such a really strange conversation to have on both sides of the fence as someone who has been given a grave diagnosis and then also turn around and against all odds of my own doing and otherwise lived you know, and, and looking back at it in the rear view 10 years later, be like, oh yeah, yeah. And I, I don't really remember if I had legacy panic, let's call it. Um, You know, I, I started an online magazine at the time and that just was kind of to keep me busy. But had I passed, that would have been my legacy. And what a stupid legacy to have. <laughs> like, like I look back at that, I'm like, oh, that's what you chose? <laughs> You know, the, the book didn't come until years later. So, you know, this this time hitting my 10-year anniversary of, like, being a cancer survivor and not only that, a sole survivor of this particular t- type, um, you know, the book and the life that I'm creating for it is really the legacy that I think I've accidentally stumbled upon giving myself. Now, the people around you, are they treating you well? I guess the term is with kid gloves or as you're fragile or God, no. are they just <laughs> keeping it as always? I mean, I, I was never one to need to be treated with kid gloves, even as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a very precocious child. Also my parents doing really my grandparents doing, cause both of my parents worked and we spent a lot of time with them as well. So you know, it, it was, uh, it, I I never needed to be handled with care. And so when this happened, you know, I did have a rule that I did not, like, there was to be no crying in my hospital room at all. I was like, you need to cry, you go out in the hallway. Like, there's none of that in here. I don't want it. And, uh, you know, most people adhered to that. <laughs> um, my, my dad and my older sister are both bleeding hearts. And so it was like, get out. <laughs> but, um. But yeah, I mean, no, they they still even now, I mean, certainly not now, definitely not now, if then, um, did anyone ever kind of like handle with care or treat me with kid gloves? Like, it just wasn't a thing that I, I needed. Oh, yeah. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. Definitely. You know, it's funny because, you know, I... uh... I found out a few years ago that I have a disease in my spine that makes the bones deteriorate. And I just wanted to be treated as normal. You know, don't, don't treat me any different. Don't treat me special. And for the most part, my family and friends, that's the way they treat me. But the other people out there, I get the extremes 
on both ends, not so much in the middle. I either have somebody totally ignore me, like I'm not there at all, or they, you know, feel sorry for me. And, you know, when I have to do a lot of walking, I have to use my wheelchair and you know oh oh let me, let me do this oh you know you go ahead you go ahead you know just treat me like every other jerk on the street you know <laughs> well i mean that's that's also a very interesting dynamic that kind of sprung up in my in my path along the way is that some people just can't handle it they don't know how and so like when you were saying about how people ignore you you know, I had friends leave. I was broken up with during this period of time. So it's like, like some people just aren't mentally mature enough or developed enough to be able to handle something like that. And you can't really fault them. I mean, certainly feel the feelings you need to around that circumstance. But in hindsight, you know, looking back, could I be still mad at my ex? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It was a terrible, really dick move. But you know, like at the same time, if I were faced with that same circumstance, like, would I do the same thing? And I don't know the answer to that. I would like to think no, but I don't know. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, that doesn't feel good to say a lot of times, but it it is kind of the understanding of like, you, we as humans, most of the time will always do what is best for us to survive. I heard something that was really interesting the other day, like, if something happens to your body, your brain will do anything it possibly can to save the brain and it will just abandon your body, um, which is a really strange kind of like medical anomaly that like your brain <laughs> will like kill the host uh, to survive. And, uh, you know, so the brain will always protect itself. And, and and when faced with a situation like that, if you don't have like matured enough neuropathways to really understand what's happening and how to deal with it and how to cope and how to apply that to your emotional state, then like, yeah, of course you're going to bail. Well, at least you're being honest. Uh, you know, I think some folks would just say, Oh, I would never ever do that. But yeah, well, the, but they don't know don't that. Know. And that, yeah. And that's the thing like, Oh, I would never do that. Okay. Well, let's see, <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's, there's some ridiculous st- statistic out there and I'm not going to say it because I don't, I don't want to get it wrong and then have the internet fry me to death. But like, there's a very high statistic that men will leave their partners in a circumstance like that. Um, It's a very high number. I want to say it's in the nineties. I could be wrong, but it's a very high number that men will do that. And women do that much less. Uh, but it is, it is a thing that is about, you know, mental maturity, women mature at a faster rate than men do. And so therefore it is not surprising that under this particular circumstances, that women are the ones who are more mentally, emotionally mature to stick around during that, during something as catastrophic as that. But yeah, man, I mean, people leave, you know, they, they can't handle it. They don't want to face it. It maybe makes them question something about themselves. And so they bail. It's so weird. My first wife, we'd been married almost 20 years and I had a heart attack and was having all these health issues and she bailed on me and I meet my wife that I have now. And just a couple of years into our relationship, found out that I was sick and She's stuck by my side. You know, she has supported me when I f- feel like a burden. She goes out of her way to to tell me that I'm not a burden. And 
you just you don't know it's the the individual i guess you can't really put that on all men or all women do this you just it's the no, individual well, and, and i mean know. i'm speaking i'm speaking in terms of metrics of course and oh like, yeah yeah of course obviously of course. obviously like beyond metrics there are very specific stories that would combat that information but you know i mean it it is in my experience that most men when challenged in a hard situation will leave <laughs> <laughs> but you know yeah. but gender gender conformities aside you know like the the idea of being in a situation whether it is platonic or romantic or otherwise and being challenged emotionally or mentally with this person's circumstances and then leaving like you know th there's so much nuance to that and so much that goes into it that I, I don't think it's fair to say one way or another if that person is bad or not bad like that is not a favorable thing to do but beyond that why did they do it and understanding what their needs were and you know it's not what we i would have wanted but it's what happened and so you have to look at that in the rear view and just kind of ask why and realize that presently it doesn't matter and those people don't matter and you're probably better off without them <laughs> exactly i was going to say the same thing that you're definitely better off the next person you run into might, might be the one you're meant to be with you know yeah. um let's go into your career uh, what's been the biggest role that you've had so far <laughs> um unbeknownst to you this is a loaded question <laughs> so <laughs> all righty um, then <laughs> yeah i mean i won't get too into it um you know because it's it's water under the bridge and i it, it turned out again to be for the better uh but i was uh supposed to be on the chicago national tour that's out right now and uh i was going to be mr billy flynn you know sh uh, sh you know straight shooting sharp talking lawyer and uh you know, at the last minute I was replaced and it's an, it's a thing that happens in the industry from time to time. I wasn't really given a whole lot of information as to why that happened, but you know, here, here I am, you know? And so like to co not combat that combat isn't the right word, but to kind of, you know, get into how I'm dealing with having lost the biggest role of my career is that right now with my book and everything that's kind of going around it, the biggest role that I get to play in my life right now is me. And I've never gotten to do this really before where I am taking something I have created that is just mine. That is just, just, just me and fully me and running with it and being able to be on podcasts such as your own and others and, and news stations. And I have some pretty exciting other things that are coming out soon uh sur surrounding it as well so you know <laughs> let's say that the tour would have been the second best role that i've ever played but currently right now the role of me is the best role that i get to play so i guess you'd say this is your sergeant peppers it's my sergeant peppers <laughs> <laughs> hey but there was great albums after that to follow so yeah i mean know? i'm not I I think it's what's strange about this is like I'm not worried, you know. I think a lot of times, and and how would you know this unless you're in it? But when you're in the entertainment industry, a lot of times you're just monkey barring from audition to audition to audition, hoping not to die, you know. Like, like let me get this job, and then if you don't, it's like okay, well then let me get the next one, and you just keep doing that in forever, because once you have the job, it only lasts for a certain period of time, and then once it's over, you're back at it. You know, so it's, you know, right now being able to play this role of 
quote unquote myself, me, um, centered around this book and and my life and my story and my experiences, like I'm not worried about what's next because I don't have to, because I have this and the book's not going away and I'm not going away. And, you know, it's kind of like a lifelong contract that I don't have to re-audition for later. <laughs> right. I guess your advice, um, I'm assuming, is live for today and not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, I think it's both, you know, live for today, but also do what you can to plan for a better tomorrow. I think there's, you know, when, when people are like, live in the moment, it's like, okay, I will make time to live in that moment. Absolutely. I will do that. It's important. But I'm going to live under the assumption that I'm going to wake up tomorrow because I have already been under the assumption that I'm not. And it was too late at that point. You know, I was in a hospital room. If I wasn't going to wake up tomorrow, like I've, I've done it all. Like I cannot leave this room. And so therefore I would, they wouldn't let me leave the room. <laughs> I tried, um, you know, and so therefore waking up in that, in a hospital, in that circumstance where you're like, Oh, I woke up today. And it's either like, Oh crap. Or thank God I woke up today, but you know, I've already lived that existence. And so like the whole live in the moment thing, like, yes, do that, but then also plan plan for tomorrow because you get to have tomorrow and live under the assumption that you're going to have tomorrow so what can you do today to make tomorrow better while living in the moment yeah yeah that's part of why i do this show you know i want to leave a better world behind because i I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow i don't know if this disease is going to take me over and i'm not going to be able to do anything ever again at least I'll bring someone on like you that can inspire someone else. Then I can say that I've done something. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you're doing something right now. And and the thing is like when, whatever your circumstances are from the day to day, you still have your wits about you. Your brain is still functioning. You're still able to speak and articulate. And so if you have the means to then put that out there to help others, then you're already winning. Because how many people, you know, there was, there was definitely, there's a timeline somewhere where I absolutely gave up during chemo because it was so ridiculous and so hard. And I didn't, and maybe I didn't make the choices that I made and I wouldn't be sitting here right now. And that was a choice I made where it was like, okay, I don't like the way I feel. I don't like this trajectory. So tomorrow I'm going to wake up. I'm going to have some coffee. I'm going to do the things. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to talk to friends and I'm going to engage with life because if I don't, I will die in this tiny little bedroom that I was living in at the time. Um, You know, curled up in a ball wishing I would have done a hundred other things in my lifetime. And that was the alternative. And it was, you know, a lot of times you're like, oh, you have choices to make all these different choices in your life. And that is true unless you are facing something like you're facing or I'm facing was facing. And then it becomes like you have two choices. You can either let this control you or you can pretend it's not there and do something else and deal with it when you have to, but then otherwise just move along. Right. Did that encourage you to reconcile with anyone um, knowing that (laughs) things are going to end? No. No. Um. No, because it was a waste of energy. You know, if if things were going to end, then I needed to conserve my energy for things that I deemed important. And those people that left, I did not deem important. And I still don't. And I don't feel the need to go back and reach out to them or, 
you know, make any effort to see them again. I mean, the the friend that I had that stopped speaking to me during cancer was what I thought was one of my best friends. And mm-hmm. I told them I had cancer and that was the last time I saw them. And there have been like little times here and there where we've spoken um, via internet or phone or otherwise, but it's been very, very brief and few and far between. And there's just no reason, you know, that that person has a means to contact me should they want to, but they don't obviously. And so therefore, why should I want to put energy into that? Well, I guess what I, I meant was if you felt like you've wronged anyone else, have you reached oh. out to them? <laughs> <laughs> and now I sound like a jerk because I just went off. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, I, I I totally get it, man. Um, have I have I? Well, did I have like a a penance moment? I guess is what you're asking. Like reaching out and asking for forgiveness for people. I don't I don't know. Did I? Maybe I should read my own book back. <laughs> Maybe I put it in there. I don't think I did. I don't know if I did. Um. I mean, let's let's say right now, like anyone who I've wronged in the past, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I, I really, I consciously, I don't know. I really don't. I I wish that was a more prominent memory. Um, I'm trying to think of like an example. I don't think I did. I did have my mom. My mom and I had a really good talk, and I think my dad and I did too about like regrets and I only this is only fresh in my brain because I'm currently recording the audiobook for for my book and and so I just read this this chapter the other day into this very microphone and um my mom in the middle of my stem cell transplant treatment when things were like rock bottom numbers wise she asked me if I had any regrets and like she kind of elaborated on that and asked if there was anything in my childhood that I wish didn't happen or anything else. And I think she was kind of fishing for, for what you're asking in the sense that she was wondering if she or my dad or anyone else in the family had ever done anything that would merit me asking them to apologize. And I don't really, I didn't really have any. And I kind of go through this list in the book of things that I I wish I would have done differently, but none of them had anything to do with them. And they weren't all that serious either. Like one was like, I wish I never played football. (laughs) Like like that was a terrible experience and I wish I never would have done it. Um, You know, so it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think I did. Um, and that does not mean by any stretch that I'm perfect or had no reason to. I'm I'm sure I have wronged people out there that wish that I would reach out and apologize. And, you know, maybe I just wasn't aware that I was doing something or didn't understand the, the gravity of it, maybe. I don't really know. I can't think of an example. I know when I got some of the news that I got, and I mean, my, my chances of of passing away from these things are very slim. So, but this is kind of a ledger popped up in my head where I'm going through thinking, Oh, could I've made things better with so-and-so or could I, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Just felt like I needed to, to get things right. Just in case. Yeah. Actually, now that you now that you mentioned this, and I've had a second to think about it, there is one instance. <laughs> um, I had when I was very young. I was oh my goodness! So I was twenty four when the tumor came. I was twenty five when I went into treatment. 
So when I was maybe 20, I was dating this guy who was like 37, right? And like, I was not kind to him. And we had a very toxic relationship. Um, Why a 37-year-old would want to date a 20-year-old is beyond me. Like, I'm now his age that he was then. And I'm like, I would never. Like, I what what is wrong with you? Um, But I really kind of toyed around with him and and like, I don't want to say I screwed him up because I think that's giving me too much credit. But I only say that because I had called him when I found out and I was about to go into treatment. And I just called him to let him know what was going on. Should anything happen, he wouldn't find out through social media. Right. And uh, I immediately regretted it. Uh, because upon that phone call of me informing him that I was dying of cancer and about to start chemo, he was upset that I called him not asking to get back together. Oh my gosh. Really? Yeah. He was like, I thought you were calling to get back together with me. And I was like, I have cancer. And he was like, I can't hear from you unless you're going to get back together with me. I don't want to hear from you. And it was like, selfish. Uh, yeah, to say the least. Um, you know, and he has a he has a elected position in in a, a adjacent state to where I'm at. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so great. Children are running things, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was a weird moment because I thought that I was like kind of doing what you were saying and like reaching out and extending an olive branch to be like, hey, like I'm in trouble. I'm really sorry. Like this, in, in case anything happens. And then I got met with that. And it was like, okay. And I think that's probably why I didn't reach out to anyone else. Cause I was, you know, you know what? I'm good. I've I've played the penance card and I don't need it. I'm good. <laughs> no longer apologizing. <laughs> um I'm I wanna make things a little lighter here. Um if, if someone else was to play you in a you know, the TV show or movie or whatever, who would you want to play your part? It's so funny you ask that because while I'm adapting this into this book into a TV show, I have actually reached out to someone who I hope will not listen to this because I have not asked them specifically if they would play me. Um, There's a I have a thought where like there's a character that is implied to be me but isn't. Uh, that I thought that he could play because it would be like the younger version of me because obviously I would like to play me. I've spent all this time and money like making this happen and so I would like to be me. Um, But if that were not the case, it would be this person. I'm not going to say their name because (laughs) I don't want them to be like, what? Um, (laughs) But it's it's a person I've worked with before who's just delightful. They're LA based. Um, They're 10 times better looking than I ever was at that age. But, you know, we're we'll we'll let we'll let him deal with that when he has the news if that's the direction we decide to go in (laughs) um but i mean like known celebrity i mean i am vain and so i would want it to be somebody like ryan reynolds like yes i look exactly like him oh no he's playing me in the next movie yeah yeah yeah. we can team up but uh but (laughs) i think in reality it would probably end up being like nick offerman or like you know, Zach Galifianakis or Seth Rogen or something, you know, <laughs> Jack Black <laughs> name, name, large bearded man. <laughs> like that's probably who it ended up being. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm. And, and after this, I mean, I know it's a lot to, to take on, but after this, what, what were your plans? Uh, plans as far as, 
I mean, are you planning on getting into another deep project like that, or you just want to do somebody else's stuff, or you know, what, well, what do you want to do? I mean, so this is going to take a while, right? Like, I I would yeah. love to be in pre production by the end of this year. Um, you know, the the script is still being finished. There's music to write for it because it's a musical, like Crazy Ex Girlfriend or Zoe's Extended Playlist or something like that. Um. So there, there's a lot of extra components that are going into this than like your normal TV pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's going to be a slow, slow process uh, that I hope to have cameras on tripods by the end of this year, like fall. And then after that, I mean, you know, I'm launching a, a new podcast with my friend Sarah, who's also my producing partner. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm always like, elbow deep in in something so i'm sure things will come up um but right now those are kind of the two most prominent things with the podcast launching in the next couple months and then the tv show adaptation of the book you know the book is my sole focus now like i said it's like the the role i finally get to play right now is me so like that's this is the vehicle on which i get to play that so it's for right now it's my sole focus but if something comes along that someone wants to bring me on to like absolutely i'll do it and what's going to be the premise of your podcast? <laughs> um, bleep me out if you need to. Uh, but it's going to be, it's called, I want to be a rich bitch. And it's basically people who come from meager means who are not like Nepo babies who don't have rich parents or, or, you know, had some big fancy finance job and like, you know, whatever, uh, who are, who are making it in the entertainment industry, who are just about to pop off, um, you know, Sarah and I are definitely those people as well. And uh, we're self-proclaiming our popping off and we're bringing on friends of ours who like come from backgrounds that are, that are, you know, like no money, like no resources. And like they're on Broadway or they're about to be nominated for something or, you know, they have projects in the pipeline that are going to be on the streaming services in the next year. Like people who have really, really done it very rags to riches. Um, and I'm very excited about it. It's going to be really good. Very story-based, uh, story-based um, personal stories for friends of ours and other entertainment industry people. Or, you know, I'm willing to go outside the entertainment industry and hear from other people who like, you know, I was living on the side of a road and then I made this thing and got it patented somehow. And now I live in a Beverly Hills mansion. Like I love stories like that. And I think everyone else does too, because it makes it feel possible. Well, some of my favorite podcasts are the folks that I get on that are, it's just their energy and enthusiasm of trying to either break into the entertainment television or movie side of it or the music side of it. It's, it's just something about their aura when they're trying their best to, to make it. It's It's the razor focus. It's that like, it's like this is where I'm going, and everything over here does not matter. It's this. <laughs> That's attractive because I think a lot of times we all get distracted by a number of things. I mean, social media is distracting. You know, we kind of use that to self-medicate and numb ourselves to like what's going on in the world and and whatnot. But I think it's the it's the people who don't necessarily do that to the extent that a lot of us end up doing it and have a focus and are just going for it and that's attractive because you know if you're in a crowd of people walking the person who's sprinting is the one who's going to attract your attention and so you know here's here's to sprinting (laughs) (laughs) had a kid on and uh, he's an asian kid 
and he was breaking into the rap business. And I I don't know anything about rap music. I'm not a fan of rap music, but his I guess his producer or his agent, whoever had sent me an email asking if he could come on the show and sent me some of his music and I listened to it and I'm like, well, the kid can sing. Sounds like he's got talent, but I don't know anything about rap music. I don't know if this is something the kids like or not. And <laughs> I'm trying my best to be as professional as I can, you know, talking about subject I know nothing about. <laughs> but he's a great kid, and I really hope that he makes it. It's just his uh, his reasoning behind it it wasn't just to be famous or say hey i'm a rap star give me you know millions of dollars He's, he wanted to help his family out his family struggled yeah and I, I get what you mean those are the stories i think people like to hear yeah well i mean because i think it's also we live in this plane of mediocrity you know we see mediocrity on television we see it really everywhere and people are often celebrated for mediocrity and so when we see people who are not that who are exceptional who are working hard who again are like have that razor focus like sprinting forward we're all attracted to that because i think it awakens something in us that says i can do that too like why why am i not doing that mm -hmm. you know i mean this is this is the example—it's an example. So the, the other day, um, I had a couple hours of of a break between work meetings and whatnot. So I sat down. I like made myself some food, and I sat down and I watched the uh the old Taylor Swift documentary from 2020. And I just sat at my at my table, and I was like, I am doing absolutely nothing with my life. I look at her and like, she's from where around like where I used to live in Pennsylvania and her family moved her to Nashville when she was a teenager. And I look at what, and granted she has like millions of dollars of budget and like a team of hundreds of people to help her. So obviously this is a more realistic conversation for her or someone like Beyonce who has like tons of money and a team and like all of this, all of this behind them. But I look at, I look at her and even though my schedule is, back-to-back -back booked a lot of the times i'm still like you are doing absolutely nothing just like looking at her and it's it's like that sprinting thing that i was talking about like i look at that i'm like i i want to be able to run that fast how do i run that fast like how do i do that and i think it's it's inspiration and that's why people like inspiration because it's a subconscious reminder that we can also do that if we try and i hate mm -hmm. to sound of a certain generation that grew up watching Mr. Rogers, but like you can do anything if you put your mind to it, it's you're choosing not to. And like a lot of time, and I, you know, I will also make excuses for myself. Like, Oh, it's because of this or, Oh, I don't have that. Like, mom, 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 mom. like humans, like instinct, as we were talking about earlier is to survive and to live. Mm -hmm. And so if you really wanted it that badly and you attached it to your very survival, you would figure out a way to make it happen. That's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So go be Taylor Swift. <laughs> I don't think I'd pass for a Taylor Swift, but I unfortunately I don't think I would either. <laughs> <laughs> so when people find out what you do in the entertainment and they're trying to break into they ask you hey can you can you help me get a break 
Um, yes. I mean, people ask all the time. And I mean, for that specific question, I can't help you do anything. Like I can point you in the right direction, but when it comes to like the break, as we know it, your big break takes 10 years, you know, like it's not an overnight thing. Anyone you've seen have overnight success has been doing that for 10 years. And like, maybe it's five now with like TikTok and the internet and whatnot. But like, you know, I have a friend of mine who's just about to pop off. He's been making content on TikTok, like three videos a day for three years now. And he's only now just starting to get some traction. And like, that's just, it's a totally different thing. I can't do the work for you. If you want to break, do the work. Sprint. Learn how, learn how, and then sprint. Have you ever had someone who, you know, bragged about how great they were and like singing, and then you listen to them and they were just god awful? Like on a regular basis. <laughs> what you you're do? forgetting being being in the entertainment industry, you're around that a lot. Um, and you know, my my plan of action is to just not say a word. I just scroll yeah. right by. <laughs> well, I have someone that he he sends a lot of people my way. And um, so I try to oblige everyone he sends to me. But he had sent me one person and I listened to their album and I'm like, oh, my God, this is just God awful. And I. You know, I'm kind of obligated, so I just. I didn't uh, recommend it or anything. I just said, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is different. Um, some people might like this. <laughs> it's very hard to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, that's a tell, though. This is different. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah. I wish you all the luck in the world, but the, yeah, this is uh, this is different. Man, I, I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I I know you. Uh, you got a lot going on. I wish you all the best in the world. You you have a website? Yes, I do. Um, I have a link tree, which is just slash Edward Miskey. Um, you know, I'm on all socials as Edward Miskey, and my website is edwardmiskey.com. Well, I want people to be able to keep up with you. And uh, so I'm going to put those links in the description so they make it easier for them to find you. And if you would, please keep me up to date. Because I'd, I'd really like to know how it's going, and uh, I want to be the exclusive when you, uh, you know, before you talk to any other reporters or anything. Right? <laughs> I'll keep you in the loop. I will. <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoyed this, and I, I I hope to have you back on in the future. Thank you so much, Kyle. And I also want to thank all you folks out there. If you are new to the channel, um, please come back and hit that subscribe button. And for my regulars, y'all make it possible for me to do this. So until the next one, everyone, please take care. Be kind to one another. God bless and peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen to the Vibes. You can catch us on Buzzsprout or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook at The Vibes Broadcast Network. 